0: Our passage today is Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, just a a small handful of verses for us this Sunday morning as we make our way through the book of Matthew. Matthew has been trying to convince his readers, or rather really the Holy Spirit has been trying to convince Matthew's uh, readers that Jesus is the Savior King that has been long-awaited and prophesied about and foreshadowed all through the Old Testament. So his book began with the genealogy, uh, which served to prove that he was of the royal lineage. And he, in terms of lineage, was suitable to be the king. And then it told his birth story that showed the fulfillment of the prophecy of the virgin birth. And then it told the history of the wise men coming to worship him, which showed that he fulfilled the prophecies of being born in Bethlehem, and that uh, people from other nations outside of Israel would worship him, which was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And then we read of the flight to Egypt, where Joseph was warned in a dream to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt for protection from King Herod, which uh, fulfilled sort of uh, an, an echoing of Old Testament patterns where God's people would be sent to Egypt and then brought out of Egypt. And, and uh, we summed it up with a quote from that book I shared with you this week that Jesus completes the story that the Old Testament begins and Jesus fulfills the promises that the Old Testament declares. It, so in other words, the Old Testament sets him up and Jesus knocks him down. He is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament Scriptures. So for the original audience, what this would have done for them was to convince them of Jesus' credentials to be the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, the King. Now, for you sitting in your living room or den or wherever you are, uh, you're probably already convinced of that. Uh, but that does not mean that these passages are irrelevant to you. We need continually to be convinced that of Jesus's credentials as the Savior King. Otherwise, our faith and allegiance to Him gets saggy. It, 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 uh, it doesn't stay tight and active. It's uh, faith and allegiance on paper but not in practice unless we remain continually convinced that He is the Savior King. I have a pair of blue jeans that uh, after they've been washed, I put them on in the morning and they fit like pants ought to fit. And then after wearing them all day, by the end of the day, uh, they're baggy and loose and desperately in need of my belt or else they'll fall off uh, because just through the course of wear and tear, they stretch and expand. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about, but our faith kind of becomes like this. If we don't keep tightening it up, if we don't continually remain in the word, in fellowship, in prayer... Uh, in our spiritual disciplines, our faith gets saggy and baggy and loose and ineffective. Our allegiance to Christ uh, weakens, and it becomes nominal, and and no longer a uh, daily, tightened down, fastened, straight reality for our life. And we don't want that. So we are going to apply ourselves to Matthew chapter two, verses sixteen through eighteen and tighten up our allegiance to Christ, tighten up our faith in him. And uh, present it in two two sections. It's only a couple of verses, but I think it's still helpful to see that it's in two sections. Um, First, we're going to look at a section that I'll just call fury, and then a section that I'll just call fulfillment. Fury and fulfillment. Let's look at the fury first. Now see Len Zaxby joking that his pants get tighter over the course of a day. I've experienced that, that too, more over the long long term, but um, that's besides the point. Fury, starting at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So here's the fury. Herod, enraged, sends his men to kill all the children in Bethlehem and the areas around it who were under two years old. Herod, we know from history, was like this, especially in his later years. He became obsessed with protecting his throne. And he would kill any threat that came along to his kingly rule. He would kill the threats and he would kill those people's families and he would kill those people's followers and those people's followers' families. He had no hesitation to kill people in order to protect his reign as king. He even, history tells us, killed one of his wives who he thought was a part of a plot to get him off the throne. He even killed three of his children who he thought were part of a plot to get, to uh, get him off of the throne. He uh, allegedly had a plan in place where when he died, all of the Jewish noblemen were to be killed as soon as Herod died so that there would be genuine mourning in the land. So Herod was not like uh, you or me. You, know, you and I, would it would take a very... Um, it would be extreme circumstances for us to arrange to have anyone killed. Herod was quick to kill people. His highest goal was to stay on the throne. So for him to kill all these children was really no big deal. This was just part of how he operated. Wise men came from the east and said that there was someone born in, uh, in, under his jurisdiction who would be king of the Jews. And he figured out that that was going to be in Bethlehem. And he figured out from the wise men about when that baby would have been born. And he sent to have all those kids killed, any child under two years old. He killed all the male children because they would have been the threats to his throne, the potential kings of the Jews. Um, it would not have been uh, an extremely large amount of children. Bethlehem wasn't huge. Uh, Looks like, from my research, it would have been a population of under a 1,000 people total. So children under two might have been, according to what the experts say, I'm no expert historian, but maybe 12 to 20 kids would have been included in this um, killing. That means 12 to 20 sets of parents who lost their child. Um, You can kind of imagine, picture a, a town maybe... Um, let's just say the size of Midland or Mint Hill, these are towns close by where our church meeting place is, if 12 to 20 kids were killed in, in one night, uh, you can imagine the news stories, you can imagine the ripple effects of that throughout families, the grief and mourning, the sadness, the shock, the tragedy of it. Um, what are we meant to take from this as we read verse 16? I know we associate it with Christmas um, but but I think it's helpful to study it Apart from that association here in the month of May, what are we supposed to take from this, verse 16, Herod's fury? I think, well, I'm, I'm sure because of what comes next, we're mainly meant to see fulfillment, which brings us to the second section. First section, verse 16, was about Herod's fury. The second section, beginning at verse 17, is about fulfillment. Let's read verses 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah a voice was heard in Rama weeping and loud lamentation Rachel weeping for her children she refused to be comforted because they are no more so here Matthew returns again to fulfillment then was fulfilled he says in verse 17 This does not necessarily mean that this is a direct fulfillment of a predictive prophecy of the Old Testament. It can mean that it brings something to completion that was started in the Old Testament. It can mean that it shows the full significance of something that happened in the Old Testament. It can mean that it reveals the full potential of something that began in the Old Testament. It can mean that it is an echo of a pattern that we see in the Old Testament. Now, I think that this falls more in that latter category, an echo of the pattern of something that we have seen in the Old Testament. It's interesting that he quotes from Jeremiah here. One might have expected him to quote from the book of Exodus. That would have followed really well from what came just before this section, out of Egypt I called my son. It would have been a pretty close parallel to what was going on here because when Moses was born, the ruler killed children, in that case, to uh, limit the size and power of Israel as they were multiplying so rapidly, a uh, pretty similar situation. But that's not what Matthew quotes here. He quotes Jeremiah. He quotes Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen, And we'll talk more about the context of it here in a minute, but let's just look at the quote itself in verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah. Rama was uh, a little township where uh, when Israel was about to be sent into exile and many of the Israelite citizens were going to be deported as they were conquered they were gathered in Rama. Actually Jeremiah was gathered with other people to be exiled and deported in Rama. A voice was heard in Rama weeping and loud lamentation. So this would have been the weeping and the lamentation of families being torn apart as some of their people were going to be deported to different places. Um, and this is Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel, if you'll remember, um, remember Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, but but his father-in-law Laban tricked him into first marrying Leah. Then he married Rachel, and uh, here, here Rachel is um, kind of a figure of the mother of Israel. She sort of represents the, the mothers of Israel. She had Joseph and Benjamin. So she, she here, Rachel, represents the mother of Israel. She would have been buried nearby here. So in Jeremiah, it's a, this, this uh, description of, of what is going on in Israel by depicting Rachel crying out from the tomb in sadness over her family being ripped apart and her children being sent away in exile and deportation her children being her descendants, the people of Israel. It says they are no more. They've been removed from the land. They are no longer a nation. Now, before we get into the fuller context of Jeremiah, um, generally what we can take from this in, in the context of Matthew is that Jesus is the Savior King. He came from Bethlehem just as the prophet Micah said He was taken to Egypt, just as the prophet Hosea said, and the events surrounding his life caused weeping in Ramah by Rachel, the mothers of Israel, just as Jeremiah said. Now, what are we meant to take from this Here is 2020 Christians in America? And this is where I want to get into the actual context of the quote in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. It's what I read at the beginning of our time together, uh, where I left off. In that opening scripture is right before where Matthew quotes, starting in jeremiah thirty one verse fifteen I just want to read jeremiah thirty one fifteen through twenty to give you a little bit of uh a sense of where this passage come from comes from. Jeremiah itself is a gloomy book it's a book of doom. Jeremiah was sent as a prophet to his people to tell them, you just need to lean into this exile thing because God's not going to stop it. He's not going to save you from exile. There's going to be a lot of destruction. But in this particular section of Jeremiah, it's very hopeful. And you can you can hear that in the verses that come right after that sort of hopeless sounding verse that Matthew quoted. So let me read it. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 15. Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. That's uh, another word for Bethlehem. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented, and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed, and I was confounded. Because I bore the disgrace of my youth, is Ephraim, my dear son, is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And he goes on from there, but you kind of get the sense of a hopefulness in the midst of suffering here. And I think that that is the pattern that Matthew is pointing back to and saying that this fulfills Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen, As he's constantly looking back, pointing his readers' heads back to the Old Testament and showing how Jesus fulfills this and then this and then this and then this. Here, I think he's saying that Jesus's early life continues and fulfills the pattern of God's people suffering but hopeful, even though... God's people have suffered at various stages throughout their history. God's purposes have always prevailed. God's purposes have always remained in place. And therefore, God's people have always been been able to have hope for the future. So for Israel back in the time of Jeremiah, even in exile, seeing people dragged away and deported, they had hope for a return from exile, For these Bethlehem parents whose children died, even in their mourning, they had hope in the Messiah, the Savior King. And I I believe many of these families, uh, maybe some of the parents, would still have been alive and able to hear this section of Matthew's gospel. If not the parents, at least the the siblings and other family members would hear this and they would... Um, see their suffering in the greater context of God's greater plans of redemption. For Jesus' disciples, when they went into hiding after Jesus' crucifixion and death, even there, in hiding, there was hope in Jesus' resurrection to come. And for us, here in 2020, May, pandemic, for us, even in our suffering, there is hope that God's purposes are still in place, and that they will prevail, that his purposes will be brought to fruition. And that's where I really want to land, just on this note of hope founded not just in shallow well-wishing, but hope that is founded in the truths of Jesus as the Savior King, and in the greater context of what God is doing throughout history. Sometimes we can get, get blinders on when we are suffering, and all we can see is, is the tiny little circumstance that we are in in this tiny little moment. But let's zoom out and get a bigger picture here. And remember that God's purposes always prevail. He is good and he loves us. And there's always hope because Jesus is the Savior King. Nothing has thwarted his purposes yet. This is not thwarting his purposes now. So uh, perhaps you are one who is experiencing this economic instability created by the pandemic, you can hope in God's provision. Perhaps you're one who is struggling with fear and anxiety uh, because there's anxious news all the time. There's a lot of uncertainty and disorientation with everything being disrupted. You can hope in God's protection for you. Uh, if you If you're one who, because of the isolation brought about by the social distancing rules and you're struggling with loneliness, you can hope that we will come back together soon that it's not always going to be just like this. If you're someone who is sick, either with the virus or just sick uh, for other reasons, you can hope in God's healing power. You can hope in his ability to enable you to endure. If you are someone who has a deep fear of death and all this just brings that to the forefront for you or for your loved ones, you've seen that many have died around the world, you can renew your hope in the resurrection that even death does not thwart God's plans and purposes. If you're someone who's just marveling at the general fallenness of the world as reflected during this time of pandemic, you can hope in Jesus's return. The Savior King is going to return and set everything aright again. Romans 8, 24 sums it up pretty well. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. For God's people, weeping is always a sign of waiting. So note of this means that suffering is not painful. The parents who lost their children in Bethlehem suffered, and it was legitimate pain, legitimate suffering. Their weeping was legitimate, God would not have looked at them and said, pull yourselves together. What's your problem? Don't you see that this is uh, just a small part of my bigger plans? Uh, The weeping can be real, but we should always see the weeping as part of waiting, waiting for God to come through on his promises. There's always hope. We're not going to weep forever. Jesus promises that in his kingdom, there'll be no more weeping, that he's going to wipe away every tear. And even between now and then, we have great hope that he will bring relief between now and that. But it's never hopeless because Jesus is the Savior King. So for us, really, our takeaway from this passage is the same as all the passages that came before it. I've used different metaphors to describe it. I've used the beach umbrella metaphor of tightening down that umbrella deep down into the sand of truth about Jesus so that we are not blown and toppled about by every wind that comes along. And today I use that illustration about uh, blue jeans that get saggy by the end of the day. Um, and this is uh, throwing those jeans in the dryer and tightening them up. However you want to look at it, we need to be continually reminded of who Jesus is. We need to be reminded of who he is, even more than we need to be reminded of who we are. Because all of our strength and stability, and as we see in this passage, hope comes from keeping our eyes on him. So if you have felt at all hopeless uh, recently, or maybe feeling that way this morning, look to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior King. God's plans and purposes are in place, and they will prevail. And it's not always going to feel just like it does now.